they decided that I was entrepreneurial and that I should go be an entrepreneur. And Harry, I literally said this. When they said you should be an entrepreneur, this is literally word for word what I said. What is an entrepreneur? Podcast Junkies, episode 196. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you're new to the show, then this is the one the only one in the entire podosphere where I get to interview the people that I admire in the podcasting world that are doing amazing things. And occasionally, most of the time, it's going to be hosts. And every now and then, it's going to be people who are in the industry. So I've got some cool conversations coming up in the next few weeks um, that, that would fall into that category. So if you missed last week's episode, we had a great informative interview with Gordon Firemark. He's the host of Entertainment Law Podcast. We learned a lot about his uh, love for theater and also all the good things that happen when you talk to a, a uh, entertainment lawyer about podcasting. So he had some really good tips. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jim Beach. He's the host of School for Startups Radio. This is a really fun conversation. It's interesting because a lot of what Jim preaches or or teaches or, or believes flies in the face of a lot, probably I would say the majority of what podcasters believe. Um, so there's some topics in here that uh, nothing too crazy, but uh, def- definitely a contrarian view of things. But we talk about the beginning of how he took the School for Startups book and made it into the School for Startups podcast and how he was introduced to podcasting and what some of his early concerns were. We discovered why he chose to commit to a daily show and a deep dive on his workflow, which is pretty interesting. If you've never heard of Cyber Ears, I had not either, and it's pretty eye-opening. Um, you'll have to listen to find out. That's about 19 minutes in. And Jim recalls the first podcasting event he ever attended, and he definitely ruffled some feathers there as well. So he speaks his mind. Uh, he's got a new interesting strategy called the Small Pond Strategy. We learn about the Pakistan Furniture Business Challenge, and that's just as interesting as it might sound. And then we talk about what motivates Jim to continue having conversations and what he looks for in a prospective interviewee. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag, but for now, let's jump into this conversation. Fun, 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 and <laughs> definitely we'll ruffle some feathers. So Jim Beach, host of School for Startups Radio, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. It is my pleasure. I'm excited. <laughs> so I don't know how often it is you actually get to talk about podcasting itself as opposed to what you normally do in, in, when you have regular guests on your show. I don't think I've ever talked about that <laughs> or this. That's why I'm so excited. This yeah. is total virgin territory for me. Well that's, well, that's not something you get to say often because you've been in the business for some time now. I, I, I tell this to people and people really don't believe me, but it's true. I have never listened to a podcast. Oh, wow. Ever. Not a single one. Tell us a little bit about the School for Startups, like how that started. Uh, seven or eight years ago, I got a book deal with McGraw-Hill and was very excited, published a book called School for Startups and expected a lot more support. You know, I think now we all have learned that the big publishers aren't going to do anything, but seven or eight years ago, I still expected something from them. And in fact, they were detrimental to the process. I truly believe I would have sold more books if they had not been in the process. And <laughs> there are some specific examples that I can point to, but I realized that I had to take it upon myself to go out and promote the book. So I sat around and on Sundays, I would make a list of radio shows, make a list of podcasts, and started building a big database, which I update regularly and will gladly give away. It's up to 20,000 names now wow. by category. And started contacting them and saying, hey, I'd love to be on your radio show. Had a lot of success with that. Was on hundreds of podcasts and radio shows to promote my book. The book ended up going to number nine, I think. And I like to make this distinction. This is really egotistical of me, but it's not number nine in its category, not number nine in its section, number nine on all of Amazon. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so it, uh, I was excited about that. But along the way, a lot of people said, hey, you're really good at this. You should start your own show. And it's sort of like the book, The Secret. Uh, so <laughs> many people started to think about it that it started to happen. And yeah. I had never thought about doing it, never was really interested, but someone eventually said, hey, why don't you do a weekly podcast in studio? So it was an in-studio experience. 
I did that for six or seven months and grew uh, a little bit frustrated with the business model of the place that I was doing my in-studio. And so I decided to take it back to my office and start doing it at the office. And that was probably six years ago. And since then, we've done 13, 1,400 shows somewhere in that mm. ballpark. And we're now broadcasting on uh, 21 different internet platforms and 25 AM FM radio stations around the country as well. We produce three or four versions of certain shows. So we do a lot of repurposing. Certain interviews are used in different formats and in different places and things like that. But that's sort of the history of the show. Um, we were really fortunate that along the way, we won the Small Business Administration Media Award, which I can, I think I can teach you how to win that award too. It's a, it's a replicatable process, right? Yeah. And so we were very honored to uh, achieve some sort of recognition. And I looked this morning, we were number five in the business section of top podcast on iTunes. So there's the the story. So when you got started, you, were you focused or were you, were you introduced to podcasts via the radio and internet radio platforms originally? Sure. I listened to tons of radio. So I thought that a podcast should sound like a radio show, yeah. you know, and my, my show still does sound, even the podcast version sounds like a radio show. You know, we say things like, we'll be right back. Yeah. And, you know, and then we do things like run commercials <laughs> and we have this stuff called bumper music, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, my show sounds exactly like a radio show. It doesn't sound like a podcast. I don't know the difference. You know, I don't yeah. really know the difference. Uh, to me, it's all the same noise. And so uh, it's formatted to sound very radio-esque. And so who were some of the folks you were listening to or were inspired by when you got started for your show that maybe inspired what your format was going to be like? Well, uh, talk radio that you hear on drive time radio in your in your car. You know, so I listen to a lot of drive time radio. I still do. If podcast like just showed up in my car somehow, yeah. I would listen to them. Right. Uh, I just bought a new car. My new car is a 2009 okay. and <laughs> it has 130,000 miles on it. That's my new car. And I get uh, what's that? The satellite radio in there now. So I'm enjoying that. That's that's new and progressive uh, for me in my house. Well, I think a lot of the the car. I don't know if this that 2009 has Bluetooth because I think you could actually, at least do Bluetooth from your phone or or something like that to listen to. It. And then whatever you can listen on your phone is obviously the same thing you could listen to on the, on your car. Yes, my my wife did that to my new car, and now her phone pairs with my new car, and my phone doesn't. And so that's <laughs> the state of my marriage. <laughs> so. What were some of the concerns you had when you were getting started? Like, because I, I, when podcasters first get started, they don't they don't really know like um, what type of content, what type of show format the show is going to be, or maybe even how to do the outreach for guests they're going to have on the show, or even what sort of technology they're going to start using. Uh, I was very concerned about all of those. So when I left the in studio, so I would just show up at a studio, record, and leave. And uh, when I discovered their listener numbers, was when I decided to go out on my own. Mm -hmm. And I got invited. I knew a guy. Uh, he's actually fairly well known in a lot of spaces. He's the guy that invented gutter guard, you know, so you know that mesh that lays on top of your gutter. He's yeah. the first guy that invented that. And it's a really interesting story. He had one of those huge satellite dishes with the mesh, you know, it was three oh, yeah, or four yeah. meters wide and he replaced it with the small one. And so we had all that mesh laying around and he went out there and started cutting it up. And that there is gutter guard right there, $300 million business wow. uh, right there. And so he started an online podcast network called Liberty Express. It was mostly uh, independent sort of talk radio politics. And I think I was the only small business show on there. What year was that? 2015, something like that, 2014. And he specified the format. It had to be 
I think 56 minutes or something like that. Cause he was running some ads at the top of the hour and running the, the, the syndicated news feeds that you can get. And so he was treating it like a radio station. And I sent him three or four shows. And those were the first shows that I produced in my house or office. I think in my house. And he sent them back and said, these aren't usable, right? The, the quality is just yeah. not there. And so I did spend two or three hellacious weeks learning to edit and learning to set up microphones. And I think that the guys at Guitar Center would see me walk in the door and they would scurry like mice to hide in the corners because they knew that I would be upset when I walked in. But I pounded the Guitar Center guys <laughs> until I could get my equipment to work. Yeah, And I've gone through three or four different uh, microphones. I'm now on a Shure product, S-H-U-R-E, yeah. one of their $500 ones. And I still run my show through the original M box that I okay. bought from Avid and use that as a mixer. It has two lines in, one for my guest, one for my microphone. And I bought that gear four, five years ago, six years ago now. And I'm still riding with the same gear, the same chords, all of that. And it was hard that first couple of weeks of learning to edit. And what were you editing in? Uh, I use GarageBand 6.0.5, <laughs> which pretty is specific, also, it's pretty specific. <laughs> uh, well, it's important. It's really important yeah. if you're a GarageBand person because that's the last version that supported podcasts. Oh, okay. After that, they got rid of the podcast feature, and they're up to GarageBand 13 wow. right now, I believe. So I'm seven versions behind, but it still works, and I have some friends that love to make fun of me and say, my God, can, you know, just update, you know, I, I was also, when I updated to an iPhone seven, I was still running an iPhone one with 1.0 operating system. Wow. On it. So <laughs> I'm not an updater. You know, and it, I, I feel I'm noticing a trend. I feel validated, Harry. Last week I updated my WordPress for the first time in a couple <laughs> of years and it changed the format, and I can't find any damn thing now on WordPress. It's driving me crazy. I have to relearn the whole thing. And so sometimes my curmudgeon-ness shines through, and I, I don't like to update. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so far I've noticed no updates on GarageBand, your iPhone, or your car. That's so. right. That's right. Uh-huh. And most of, my, uh, most of my underwear is at least 30 years old. <laughs> So, but then you finally got into a rhythm, you got the gear working, you figured out how to edit, and you started to get into a flow. Did you have a frequency in mind with how often you wanted to release these? That was a daily commitment at wow. Liberty Express. So I started daily almost from the beginning. So I've been doing daily for five or six years now. And my definition of daily changes depending on how busy I am. And some days daily will mean three new shows a week and then two recycled shows yeah. that I go back and, you know, I'll label them a greatest hits, but it's two people that weren't together originally now put together in an interesting way. So, you know, I'll call that new and no one remembers what I did four years ago, so I can mm. rerun those uh, and I don't feel bad about it. Yeah. So, but daily you know, changes depending on what I feel like. And right now we are doing six daily shows a week and multiple versions of some of those shows. So talk a little bit about your workflow. Like where do you normally just, you host it to one of the hosting companies and then you send that MP3 to, to the radio stations to syndicate or how does that work? Uh, it it works various different ways. Usually I send the raw MP3. So I produce 54 minutes. Okay each day and it has to be to the second so it's 54 54.00.1 seconds is exactly wow. what i do because i have a template and it's important harry i have a template that i've used for two or three years now so every show is the exact same length and it's got that point one out there in the third decimal point that i can't get rid of <laughs> no one cares in the third decimal point yeah but you know it is the exact same because it's a template and I don't adjust the end of the template or the beginning. I might, you know, every year or so I update the introduction, uh, the intro, 
bumper that I have some girl on Fiverr create mm-hmm. for me with a British accent. So I, okay. I use a British accent female version, uh, you know, for my introduction text. And I might update that, but otherwise the template stays the exact same. And I, what was your original question? I just just in terms of a workflow. So you output an MP3, and then what do you what do you do with it from there? Then I send it to radio stations, usually ver- with FileZilla. So oh, okay. all of my radio stations right now accept the file in FileZilla. Got it. And I'll also be honest. Right now, I'm producing five shows during the weekend, labeling those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, yeah. and sending those all Sunday night. So on Sunday night, I upload an entire week worth of shows. I then do a Saturday show, which I do Friday afternoon, mm-hmm. and send it FileZilla Friday at dinner time to the radio stations. So this is a big lesson. And I don't know if this interests you. If, I, if I'm getting off topic, stop me, Harry. No. The radio stations care a lot about how easy you make it on them. So mm-hmm. some of the hosts that I know send five eight-minute segments and a 10-minute segment, and then the radio station has to put that together and all of that, all mm. that junk. I send them 54 minutes with the ads embedded in it, so they okay. have zero work to do. I also send them a whole week at a time, which they love, because that means they don't have to hit FileZilla five mm. times during the week. Okay. So I'm reducing their workload by maybe 10 times on what it could be just for me. And I, I, I promise you that has made a difference. When I am interviewing, quote unquote, for a new station, a new station is considering adding me to their mix. And just this week, I'm adding Washington, D.C., a station there. I'm very excited about that. That's a score. And we can yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Uh, but I tell the stations, I'm going to send you, you know, it's different, 57 minutes, 52 minutes, 54 minutes. I'm going to send it to the second. It's going to be totally edited for you. Here's the standard that the sound is going to be. If you need me to embed certain ads, I will. And then they also embed, I also embed breaks where they can insert traffic and weather updates if they have Mm, to. And so I tell them this, it's coming completely edited with the traffic weather updates built in, with the local ad pizza ad thing that you need to run built in. And so that makes a huge difference to people, to the people that I'm eventually hoping to do business with. And how many radio stations are you submitted to now? I'm on 25 now wow. across the country. Some really good ones that I'm proud of. Tampa, Vegas, uh, Long Beach, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Washington, D.C. And some that I'm not so proud of, like Opelika, Alabama, and Sholo, Arizona. Is it possible or for you, or have you been able to measure the responses you're getting from some of these radio stations? Can you tell which ones are are more popular where your show is? Is is that kind of hard? It's impossible. Uh, No, I have very little success with that. And we've tried quite a few times to figure that out. But usually shows go through syndicators. And when Mm -hmm. they go through a syndicator, you lose the ability to embed codes per market or anything like that. And so I, I have very rough numbers but there's this myth about Arbitron out there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know of anyone that uses Arbitron, right? They all talk about it and they all quote it. But I think they, I, maybe one person per city buys it and just Xeroxes mm-hmm. it and gives it to everybody else or something. I don't know. I've never run into a station that is uh, using it and quoting it, which means that I'm not on great stations. I'll give you that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not on any super, super flagship stations. Yeah. So here in Atlanta, for example, we have WSB, which okay. is one of the top five stations in the country. Uh, it's the equivalent of WCBS in New York City, mm, yeah. where Howard Stern used to be. It's yeah. that equivalent of a, a brand. And I'm not anywhere near that. You know, I'm not, I'm not on a station like that. And and then how do you get it on to Apple Podcasts, or where are you hosting that file? So I then have one version that I post. So even though there's multiple versions that have gone out into the air, I post one version every day, and I post it on Cyber Ears, which is a 
hosting platform. Uh, there I've are a never lot of, heard of that. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of religion shows there, um, and I don't point people to that yeah. platform. I don't. Uh, you know, they've been a good host for me. Okay. You know, the reason I went there was because the guy who owned Liberty Express, that's where he was. And okay. he told me to go there. So I was like, okay, I'll go there. <laughs> and so I went there and they've been good to me. Yeah. They uh, update my file sizes when I need them updated and they reply to customer service within three or four hours. Mm. And so I've been very happy with them. And I would recommend them wholeheartedly. And here's a, a cool thing, too. It's a small enough platform so that when it shows the top shows, you know, here are our top shows that we have. Yeah. I'm always in the top three or four or five or six or something like that. Yeah. So if I'm and this is a good trick, too, that I've learned. If I'm talking to a sponsor or someone that I want to sell an ad to, I say, hey, go to cyberears.com. It's one of the places that shows me. Oh, and look, today I'm number five. See? Mm. Yeah. See, I, I told you I'm popular and you should advertise <laughs> with me. I'm number five on this platform. And they, too, may never have heard of it, but they're never going to admit that because then that makes them feel stupid and look stupid, whereas they would prefer to say, oh, that's pretty impressive. You're number five. So did did CyberEars handle – they handle the hosting, so they, they have your RSS – feed Correct. and and they submitted it to Apple. So they submit that yeah. to Apple. Yes. Okay. But then another thing that and this is a, another trick as well is that some of my radio syndicators because the radio syndicators are feeling left out of the podcast world mm -hmm. are working very aggressively to add their feeds to the radio I mean to, I'm sorry to the online syndication platforms, mm -hmm. the iHeartRadios and yes. all of those places. So I'm on 21, I think. I don't even keep up with them. Of those platforms through some of the radio syndicators, which is cool because I don't have to do anything to make that happen. And Harry, the coolest one is one of my radio syndicators added their pipeline to Alexa. So yeah. now every day at 2 o'clock... I can listen to my show on Alexa in the kitchen and the kids think that's the damn coolest thing they've ever seen. <laughs> Daddy talking out of Alexa just blows the little three-year-old away. That's funny. Yeah, it's very common. I think it's not making as a big of a splash as folks I think originally were thinking, but it is important to be on all those platforms. And because we're moving into voice-enabled homes and cars, I think uh, being on there is really important. And as long as you instruct your listeners on how to do it, and I think it's Alexa, subscribe to the School for Startups podcast or something like that, and that, that way it's subscribed and you can, it, depending on which one of the, 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 I know Google Home has it and Alexa, and you can actually skip episodes and, and go f backwards and forwards, I've heard. I, I take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's fascinating is that it seemed like you sort of came in through the radio angle to, to get your show on there. So like you said, you're, you're not as familiar with everything that's happening in the podcast world yet because of, because of the, the fact that someone put you on a platform where you were allowed to have an RSS feed that could then get to Apple. That's really the 800 pound gorilla, like Apple Podcasts, because that's where a lot of people consume their, their shows. And so I, I don't know what type of stats you see from cyber, cyber ears in terms of the different platforms, but for most people, about you know sixty to eighty percent of their downloads come from Apple. Then it's Android, and then now people now Spotify is picking up a little bit as well. I, I'm going to go a hundred percent in the other direction with you on this one, Harry. Yeah. Uh, my take on that is the following. This is let me back up for just a second. Uh, last October. I was invited to my first podcast event. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you know the uh, guy, but there's a guy out there named Steve Olshner. Olshner, and, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, a real good guy and has written some New York Times bestselling books and stuff like that. And he puts together an event called the New Media Summit. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. And 40 podcasters go and do, you know, basically what they do is listen to 150 paying clients pitch mm -hmm. to get on your 40 podcasts and so the podcasters it's sort of like the voice you know yeah. listen to the pitches and say i choose you you know yeah, and there's yeah, yeah. even chairs that spin and all of that <laughs> kind of stuff and so it's a good event and that was the first time ever that i met another podcaster or spoke wow. to another podcaster so that was just last october i guess and i went to another event 
uh, of his in Tampa in February and was talking to, you know, the podcasters there. I'm sorry again, Harry. What was your original question? No, it's just interesting. No, just basically just commenting on the fact that, you know, the the platforms where people consume content are typically Oh, Apple yes, Podcasts. yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Okay. So, at those two summits, I got into, I don't want to say argument, but a discussion with everybody about whether iTunes is where you want to focus. Mm-hmm. So, I tweet and post and Facebook and all of that kind of stuff. I never point anyone to iTunes. As a matter of fact, there's not an iTunes link on my website because I want you to listen to my show on my website. And I don't understand why anyone would ever point you away from their website to somewhere else to listen to the show. I want you hanging out on my website, looking at my ads if I choose to show you an ad, and a lot of times we don't, but I want you hanging out there so that Google sees that people hit my website for 54 minutes, not for 54 seconds. That's a huge part of your search engine optimization results and all of that kind of stuff. And again, I don't understand why I want to go to the deepest part of the swimming pool and compete with you know, Pat Flynn or somebody like that. I want to go to the shallow, I want to go to the baby pool and I want to compete with the two-year-olds so that I can stand out and be super visible and be a star on the platform that I'm on. That seems to me to make a much better strategy. So every single thing I do directs people to my website where they consume the stuff I want them to see. And then there's the other buttons that stuff, perhaps where I sell something or point them to a book that I want them to buy or a video series I want them to watch. That doesn't happen on iTunes. And so I put 0% of my focus on iTunes, absolutely zero. And I'm very happy to be on all of the other places. And I and I don't know if you noticed, I was able to, to point out to you that I'm number five on the business today. As we were recording this, I checked. I was number five yeah. on iTunes. But that's serendipitous luck. That's uh, The show is popular. You know, We get 200,000 listeners a day. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure some of those are going to be on iTunes and drive some numbers there. But I would really like to encourage your listeners, Harry, to think about the small pond strategy. I'd rather be number five on cyber ears than disappear on Stitcher because there's 16,000 other things and I'm mm-hmm. one of 16,000. To me, that's a strategy worth considering. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, typically most hosting platforms are, they don't do a lot of work for the content on their show. So they just basically host it. You basically are responsible for getting it they want to have it as a platform for you to syndicate your content. And I think what's interesting about what CyberEars is doing is not only are they hosting it, but they're actually making it a point to feature uh, shows as well. And so, like, you know, to your point, if you go to CyberEars.com and you look at the top 10 on the left, yours is uh, number five. Hey! And, so, <laughs> and so it's interesting because, and it's very contrarian because it's, it, it flies in the face of like a lot of what most people are doing. The only uh, counterpoint I would say for, uh, encouraging people to subscribe is that what's ha- what we're noticing is, is the trend is a lot of people consume podcasts on mobile devices. And so I don't know how user-friendly or responsive that site is. And I'm personally, I don't personally wouldn't even yeah, I don't think send of consuming people to that site. Yeah. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I don't send them to that site. The only person I would send there is someone who's considering buying yeah. an ad from me. Or to your site, you said, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm right, sorry, send right. to your site. I send them to my site. But I, I personally, what I love about some of these the podcatchers, and I use Overcast, and people normally use Apple Podcasts or you know uh, some of the, some of these different a- a- iOS apps for consuming. And because I consume so many, I probably have a couple of hundred podcasts on my device. I have playlists, and I have the ability to create playlists in certain categories. So if I wanted to listen to your show, I'd place it in the business category, and I can play it at one and a half or two times speed if I wanted to, and I can stop and start it when I want. And so for me, because I consume podcasts on the go consuming it on a website is, is, is never going to be an option for me because I basically am doing other things as I'm listening. I, I, I've rarely been to a site. I don't even watch YouTube videos anymore on there. And if I can speed them up, I do. So I think it's different strokes for different folks in, in, in terms of, and, and it's demographics too, I imagine Huge with your partner. audience. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, and again, I make all of the other platforms available. So I, I do provide 
the way you want to listen. It's out there. But I'll point out one of my favorite pieces of data that only 30% of the population has ever listened to a podcast. And I take that data uh, data from Bonnie Bruderer, the founder of Binge Network, which is sort of like Roku. But anyway, uh, it's a cool new platform for podcasts. I am trying to make it as easy as I can for that other 70%. And I like that audience as well. So if you go ask my parents, for example, how to listen to my show, you know, it's a 50-step process. And it really is, you know, going to Stitcher, finding a show, blah, it's not as easy as us young people think it is, right? And a huge portion of the audience, when they ask, why aren't you pod- listening to a podcast? Say, I don't know how it's too complicated. So for me, and my website is, you know, mobile responsive, and I, I, I'm adding a new feature to it right now, Harry. When you hit my website, it automatically starts talking to you. The latest show starts playing without you even hitting a play button. Yeah. It just starts. And so, I don't know. You know, I think what we should all realize about the podcast world is that there's not a winning model yet, that there's still 50 different mo- uh, models that are evolving and interacting with each other. Yeah. And we don't know yet what the ultimate distribution winner is going to look like. Uh, we assume, I think, that it's iTunes. But I, I'm not sure that that's a, a foregone conclusion at that at this point. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, I was trying to think of a, a good example. Uh, a lot of people only want to, to fly uh, first class, but there are a lot of people back in the back of the airplane who are trying to get as cheap a ticket as possible. And, <laughs> you know, we need to think about that as podcast producers, that we need to be out there on as many different venues as possible. That's something I definitely uh, hammer home for folks. I, I, I never want to dictate, and this I do it from a social media perspective as well, I never want to dictate where my listeners are going to find me because there's going to be a couple that only are only on Twitter or only on Facebook or only on Instagram or only uh, only like getting emails. You know, So you have to be everywhere for everyone um, so they can find you. And, and I think you've been able to carve out that space where, where you had some brand name recognition. And, and I think people now that probably are on that cyber side and, and, and listen to those shows, find your shows as a result. Um, one thing I would point you to for the latest stats is uh, the company that is the standard for the what's happening in terms of the, the podcasting world is Edison Research. And they just released the Infinite Dial 2019 report. And so that number is up to 50% now of people that had ever listened to a podcast. I didn't know that number. Someone uh, put that in my inbox the other day. Yeah. And so I did see that. I haven't dug into it yet you know i'm a podcaster i want it to get to 100 percent. yeah of course uh the the more listeners i have the better sponsorships and ads i can sell so this all started with the book you wrote the school for startups book can you talk a little bit about how this came about like your love your passion for entrepreneurship and and startups Uh, i got fired from (laughs) coca-cola that's a good reason yes I, i was escorted to the door by armed guards. Uh, yeah, I worked for Coca-Cola in Japan okay. and got my MBA in Japan and in Japanese and thought I would be a Coca-Cola employee for life. Mm-hmm. And Coca-Cola was very good to me and I still love me some Coca-Cola. But they decided that I was entrepreneurial and that I should go be an entrepreneur. And Harry, I literally said this. When they said you should be an entrepreneur, this is literally word for word what I said. What is an entrepreneur? <laughs> and uh, I had never thought of it. You know, Interesting. I, I, what I, year I, was this? Uh, 89, Yeah, something back then, before you were born. I bet. No, I was 19 at the time, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. You look a lot younger. You look very young, Thank you. by the way. Anyway, so I decided to go back to school and get more schooling. And my parents thought that would be a wonderful idea as long as I got out of their house. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up starting a business during the summertime to support myself so I could go back and get an architecture degree. Mm. And... 
I made a list of businesses that I could do during the summer. And one of the businesses was summer camps. And so I decided to start a summer camp that specialized in computers, robotics, movie editing and stuff. And back in the early 90s, this was way out there. Yeah. And we were fortunate that we were able to get our first location at a place in California, maybe that you've heard of called Stanford. And our second location was a place on the East Coast, maybe you've heard of called MIT. Mm-hmm. And when you have a computer camp at MIT and Stanford, the marketing sort of writes itself, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we got sponsorships by Intel and Microsoft and Hewlett Packard and some guy named George Lucas and things like that. I'm looking around the room I'm in for a poster uh, of all of the sponsors. Uh, I, I don't see one, but if you try, if you track it down, uh, take a photo of it. We'll make sure to include it in the show notes for this episode. It's on my LinkedIn profile. Okay. You can see the poster that I'm referring to on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, but we had everybody, NASA and, mm. you know, British Telecom. And I mean, we had everybody. And we ended up with summer camps around the world at 90 locations around the world. Every big, good university in the world that you've heard of, Sorbonne, Cambridge, Oxford, mm-hmm. University of Adelaide, you know. So I became an entrepreneur, and we grew that business to 700 employees, and I sold it when I was 31. Okay. And at that time, I was unemployed and had nothing to do, and the local big downtown university called and said, hey we'd like you to come and teach international entrepreneurship. And I was like, great, I got nothing to do. And they said, well, it starts in five hours. And I was like, great, I'm in the car. And so I started teaching international entrepreneurship. And my premise at that point, because I was young and egotistical and had just sold a business with 700 employees, was that this entrepreneurship stuff is not very hard. Mm -hmm. And I ended up backing myself into a bet with my class. And these were MBA students taking classes at night. They were Delta, UPS employees, Coca-Cola employees, you know, our big, big downtown type employers. They're cream of the crop. You know, when a Coca-Cola employee gets sent to night school and Coca-Cola pays, we were the school that caught them. Hmm. And these were bright, bright students. And so I ended up making a bet with the class that I could start a business that semester and get it cash flow positive that semester and repay all startup capital that semester. Hmm. And the students got to choose the country and the industry that I would start the business in. Wow. And this was right after 9-11, so they thought it would be funny if I had to start a business in Pakistan. And I had just done a lecture on campus about how furniture is the worst industry in the world to go into. So they said furniture. So I had three and a half months to build a profitable Pakistani furniture company. Again, go on my LinkedIn profile and scroll to the bottom to Timeless Chair is one of the businesses. That's the business that this was called. And you can see the product that we ended up uh, producing. They are the most beautiful chairs that you have ever seen. What we did is we would take a hundred-year-old Persian oriental rug that we bought at a flea market in Karachi and cut it up and use that as the fabric for Mm. a traditionally shaped American armchair. So imagine an Archie Bunker chair with a hundred-year-old fabric on it, with a solid mahogany interior. It was a work of art, and we sold them at work-of-art-type prices. One chair, $4,000, cost me $450 to get it into Charleston, South Carolina, and so I've won the bet. Can you pause there for a second? I'm just curious about, this will be helpful for folks, and there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen, but when you were tasked with that assignment of Pakistan and furniture, can you talk a little bit about your thought process? Like the wheels are in motion and you have to start thinking, you know, we know that where you ended up with the armchair, but how did you go about thinking about that that challenge? That is a great question. And I, uh, I'm really glad that you asked that. So one of the thesis points of my podcast 
radio show is that entrepreneurship has nothing to do with creativity, risk, or passion, and that you should ignore those words, that creativity is not what entrepreneurs are about. Entrepreneurs do not take risks, and entrepreneurs are passionate about sex, not selling stuff, or their family. I meant their family. They're passionate <laughs> about their family, Harry. That's what I meant. That's what I meant, yeah. I have four children, so I, uh, <clears throat> I'm passionate about my children. And so anyway, I had seen 10 years before this, while I was working and teaching at Stanford at the camp, I went to the Santa Barbara flea market. Mm -hmm. And at the Santa Barbara flea market, a very high-end flea market, a flea market for millionaires, that there was one guy who was selling a weekend piece of luggage, a two-night bag, and it was made from what looked like someone's cut-up carpet. Mm. And so 10 years before this assignment uh came across my desk, I fell in love with this beautiful piece of luggage that looked like someone's carpet was cut up. Yeah. And so when I heard Pakistan, I'm educated enough to know that that's where Oriental rugs came from. And so immediately I said, ooh, Pakistan Oriental rugs, you know what we're going to do? We're going to cut up Oriental rugs and make stuff from them. Chair was one of the last ideas for yeah. uh pillowcases, shams, that kind okay. of thing. Luggage was first. And we ended up contacting through the gold key service. So we went to the U.S. Department of Commerce. Mm -hmm. And this is something that everyone should know. Every embassy around the world has one desk devoted to the U.S. Department of Commerce. Their job is to do economic analysis of the country. They have a service called the gold key service, which is $750. For $750, they will introduce you to three local companies that do whatever you need done. Mm, wow. So I contacted them and said, I need three companies that can go into flea markets in Karachi, find really cool patterns, take pictures of them so I can approve them on Sunday morning at my house in Atlanta, then go back to the Karachi market, buy those, cut them up and make them into this kind of chair and then send them to me. They sent me a list of three. I contacted those three. All three wanted the market or the business. I selected one and they started making stuff. And they said, you know what? We, we should really make something bigger than cushions out of this because the fabric is so big. And I was yeah. like, well, let's make chairs and sofas and little love seats too. And again, please go on Timeless Chair uh, or go on my LinkedIn profile and scroll to the bottom and look at the pictures of the, the product. Have you done it yet, Harry? No, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do it now. Do it right but, now so you but can tell I, people how damn beautiful these things well, are. Well, I'm going. I'm also going to make sure we have your LinkedIn profile in the um, in the show notes. So people yes, can do and it it, well. I accept all, all invitations. So please uh, hook up with me on LinkedIn. And so I was, you know, the whole thesis of my class is that we don't have to be creative. And I, my example was, let's steal from this flea market. Mm -hmm. And my example was, we don't have to take a lot of risk. I'm going to order five or six or seven chairs for $400 each. So I'm up to $5,000. If mm -hmm. I sell one chair, yep. I've won the bet. Yeah, that's And true. therefore I've reduced my risk and I'm already in the black, which is where I want you as a startup entrepreneur six months in. And so that's the whole thesis and the, the, the exercise reinforced the thesis. Well, we did this exercise 12 semesters in a row, and that became the School for Startups book. When uh, McGraw-Hill heard what we had done, what the thesis was, that entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, and then we prove it, McGraw-Hill was like, oh, I want to hear that. And so we got... Uh, I sent out one proposal to one publisher and had a deal one week later with McGraw. That, that's Hill. something that doesn't happen anymore. That you don't hear that story, and so it was because the thesis was so compelling. I believe entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, and passion, and that turned into the podcast. Some would argue that the you were pretty creative in terms of how you thought about what you saw in the in the marketplace or in the in the flea market, <laughs> and thought of how you could turn that into an idea, given that you were presented with these other you know i went to architecture school i also got kicked out of architecture school <laughs> i should tell you that right but if you look at the louvre in paris there's that pyramid in the middle of it designed by im pay the glass pyramid yeah it was in the tom hanks movie the da vinci code thank you very much 
that pyramid looks a lot to me like those big stone things in Egypt, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we consider I.M. Pei one of the greatest architects of our time. But that pyramid that he built in Paris looks a whole lot like those stone things in Egypt. Right. Yeah. And so there's my point. The creativity is standing on the shoulders of everyone who's come before us. All I have to be is 0.1% creative. Mm-hmm. That's called innovation where I come from, Mm -hmm. and it's a whole new idea. My summer camp business that I started telling you about was a blatant 100% copy of someone who had done it before me. Their business was located at the Clark Crest Resort in Connecticut. Harry, let me ask you a question. Would you rather send your kids to the Clark Crest Resort in Connecticut or to MIT? I'm going to go with MIT on that one. It's the exact same (laughs) program taught by the exact same people. It's just in a different building. And mine ended up with 700 employees in 90 locations, and he's still at Clark Crest Resort. Innovation. There you go. Mm -hmm. So when you started the, when you took the book and turned it into the podcast, uh, and you started having these conversations, what were, can you talk about those early conversations and and were you surprised by some or, or some of the stories that people were telling you? Oh, no, I have no clue. I don't remember a single one of them. And here's one of my big problems, Harry, is I don't remember the interviews I did this morning. I've done right at 4,000 interviews now. I also had another podcast that I put to bed called uh, Restaurant Owner Radio. It was Mm -hmm. a restaurant show just for owners. It wasn't for consumers. It was inside baseball about restaurants. And we did, I don't know, four or 500 episodes of that. And that was an interview show. So I've done a thousands of interviews. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I don't remember any of them. Uh, I remember three or four a year that mm-hmm. stick out to me. And back from 10 or five years ago, I will look back and go, oh, I, I remember that guy. I should really interview him. Oh, I did interview him. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, maybe I wonder what I said, you know, or what he said. So I, I really don't remember uh, any any interesting things. You know, we keep track of the great guests that we've had, and we have that on our website, a list of stars, right? Uh, and things like that. But I had to go back through the archives to to create that list. And so what keeps you going? Because if, if you're just doing them and, and you're getting, and obviously you're getting a lot of people because you're getting, you're producing content on a weekly basis, but like what, what is it that keeps you motivated to have these conversations? Well, there's still cool new people to meet. Yeah. You know, I'm still meeting cool new people. So yesterday on the show, I had Layla Ali, Muhammad Ali's daughter. Awesome. Um, do most people, if you were to ask, you know, people on the street, would you like to have a conversation with Muhammad Ali's daughter and get caught up with her? Most people would say, yeah. And I'm most people, I was like, yeah, I want to talk to her. Let's talk to her, you know? And so we spend a few minutes talking to her and, you know, the CEO of Calvin Klein and the CEO of AT&T and, uh, you know, if there's a Ted star that I want to meet pretty easy, you know, I can get anyone I want on the show now. Um, and so that's, what's still cool about it. I still love doing that. So here's an interesting, uh, uh, conundrum. I don't remember the interviews, but those people are now my friends, you know, 5%, 10% of those people end up being friends of mine that I keep in touch with. And five years ago, I'm, I, I have people that are friends of mine that I probably forgot that the friendship came through the podcast. Yeah. What do you look for, or um, when you're having these conversations with people, is it, are you trying to focus on the business aspect of what they're doing from a business perspective, or are you just scratching your own itch, or are you just trying to have a normal conversation with folks? What's your approach, especially with folks that you haven't met before? A lot of it is scratch my own itch. I, I do like that answer. Or that is a very true one. Uh, and so I have guests on there that I don't care if they appeal to my audience. You know, I'm having Mm. them on there for me. I do a lot of parenting guests that have nothing to do with entrepreneurship. And so what I do with them is I will start off with a, let's talk about your parenting philosophy. And then we'll go to a commercial and come back and say, Hey, now let's talk about the business of being a parenting guru. Mm. And so now we are actually talking to my audience and we're getting to talk and anyone 
can have that conversation. Yeah. So I could invite you, Harry, and I would love to have you on my show. I'd be honored. And we'll talk for three or four minutes about podcast junkies and how awesome it is. And then I'll say, so is this a loss leader for you or is this a monetization thing or how do you sell ads or, yeah. you know, and then we're going to turn it into a financial conversation that will appeal hopefully to my listeners. And then the last minute will be like, well, if this moron Harry can do it, my God, you can do it. And then we're trying to turn motivational and say, all right, now go out and start your own. You heard from Harry. This is how you do it. You know? So with that model, anybody can be yeah. on the show because everyone's got an economic model behind whatever it is that they are trying to sell, pitch, whatever. So I will be honest with you. 100% of my guests come through publicist at this point. Okay. I don't reach out to anybody. And during the, I, I deal with about a hundred publicists. And by the way, I do give that list out. So not only will I give out the lists of all of my shows and by category, uh, 2000 sports shows, 2000 spirituality shows, I give out whatever list. I'll also give out the list of all the publicists that I deal with. Mm -hmm. You call them up and introduce yourself and say, Hey, I got a great new show. I don't know if you know about it and here's what we're doing and here's who we're talking to. And if you have any of your clients that would be good guests, I would love to interview them. Well, I've done that with a hundred people now. And so a hundred percent of my guests come from them. I say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, yes, no. They fall into an automated scheduling system, very similar to what you use, yeah. and they just show up on the calendar. Perfect. Yeah, it's been a fascinating journey for me. I, I just celebrated my five-year anniversary, and I, do, I was scratching my own itch because I wanted to have conversations with podcasters. I was inspired by Inside the Actor Studio, where they go behind and talk, figure out you know, the, the backstory. And for me, that's what I wanted around podcasting. And I did I actually do have a business now called Fullcast. And now that reminds me, that's how we met. We were introduced through John Livesey, who was an early, oh, yeah. an early client of mine. I produced his show. Uh, and got him launched, and that's so that's the full time uh, gig now. And so, the, what's beautiful about podcast junkies? It's it's my opportunity to continue to network and build relationships with folks, uh, and and it never ceases to amaze me. I had the uh, the former CEO of Groupon, Andrew Mason, reach out because he was starting a new transcription service technology company, and they they found my site. So they said, you know, it's it's helpful for podcasters. Would you like to speak to Andrew Mason? I said, yeah, sure. The, the founder of Groupon? Yeah, sure. Let's talk to him. Well, so what transcription service do you use? What do you think is the best one? Uh, Rev.com is the most common. A lot of people use them. Um, I think there's another one that's uh, called Scribby. I can send you the link for that. It's 80 cents a minute, and I've been using it pretty consistently. So if you're doing a lot of transcriptions, um, the savings definitely come in handy. I, I'm doing a tremendous amount of transcriptions, and Otter is the cheapest okay. for me. Are they manual monthly. or are they manual or automated? Uh, you load the MP3 up, yeah. and then it just trans transcribes. The but it's MP3. a machine machine based transcription or human? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's a ton of folks doing uh, automated stuff as well. So, yeah. so what's got you most excited, or what keeps you motivated to keep continuing with the show? I don't know why I would quit. You love what you do. Well, yeah, and it's driving some business and uh, I'm meeting cool people and my numbers are growing mm -hmm. and I want to get on a hundred radio stations. You know, if I can get on 25, I can get on a hundred, right? Yeah. Doesn't that seem to make sense? Yeah. So that's the goal and you don't quit before the goal is achieved. And after you get on a hundred, then the goal would be to what? Probably get on 200. Yeah. And so uh, right now I, I like it and I, it fulfills a lot of, uh, things that I enjoy. I get to meet great people and ask them great questions. And, you know, they keep the, here's the most important thing as an entrepreneur, just as a, a, a smart adult, you have to continually learn stuff every day. And of if you're course. not learning stuff, then you become boring. And so I spend several hours every week interviewing the top experts in the world on stuff that interests me. And therefore I'm continually learning. So when we talk about search engine optimization, you know, every week I interview another SEO expert mm -hmm. on the latest SEO stuff, and they're all trying to give out good information and impress me. So they give me the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I don't need to do any more research or read any SEO books or something because I'm getting inundated. And 
you know, the podcast serves me, Harry, not the other way around, right? And I, it's here to serve me, not the audience. <laughs> That's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> I take it back. I take that back. Put it back in my mouth. Well, I understand the distinction. And, you know, I think people can understand when uh, someone has a sense of humor and, and is, and is whether they're being actually serious about something or, or, you know, they need to take it with a grain of salt. So. Well, we, we've lost that in politics. We can't yeah. do that in politics anymore. <laughs> and it seems like we can't do that in a lot of society anymore, you know? So I, well, that's one more thing I'll say. I am very, con- you know, because I care about con- sponsors and ads and things like that. We want a 100% non-political show. Mm-hmm. We never talk about politics. Probably a good right? idea. Yeah. And a lot of people want to, and I stop and say, no, 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 we're not going to talk about that. That's smart. Let's get back to, you know, I will even have a negotiation expert who's written a book on Donald Trump and his negotiation style. And we'll talk about business negotiation without saying the T word. Wow. That's good. Because I just don't want to go. Well, you're polarizing your audience. You'd lose half your audience. Yeah. You never want to do that. Exactly. And another thing I do, and I don't, I've heard that podcasters don't like this and I don't know if it's true or not, but I spend a tremendous amount of time talking about me and my family and my kids. And I don't know if that's bad or good. I I think it's good. I personally like it when people share their their personal, because you want to connect with the host as a person, as a human being, not as a robotic announcer. Yes. And I always tell clients and I tell other podcasters just getting started, start introducing a little bit about yourself. Like what's your dog's name? Like where'd you go for vacation? And you don't have to get too personal, but I think people feel like they can relate to you and they keep coming back because they, and then you're a testament to that because your listeners keep listening to you because, and partly not because of the content, but because of who you are and what they know about you. Oh yeah. I I tell people all the time, the guests are irrelevant, a hundred percent irrelevant. The people are there to hear me. And so I don't really care about you. I'm sorry. You're my guest. (laughs) Again, I take it back. I take it back. Uh, You know, so when I have a guest, I tell them I'm going to talk for three or four minutes in the middle of your 18 minutes, right? Because I actually know that's uh, the way I, it works. And I will say the radio people that I try to listen to every day are people that I like. I like them as of people. Course. Yeah. And I don't care who they're interviewing. I'm going to listen to them anyway. I, I spent a couple of years in Atlanta. I lived in Candler Park. Oh, I, I very yeah. close. To, I lived very close to there. Uh, I was uh, on Arizona Avenue right behind Surin and Dark Horse. You know Dark Horse? Oh, Dark Horse. Yeah, Dark Horse. I'm Tavern. sure you drank there one night. <laughs> I, I lived right behind that. Oh, very cool. Uh, a couple of questions as we wrap up. Um, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Um, I'm a lot, lot, lot more accepting than I used to be, you know, 40, well, not 40, 30 years ago, I said, you know, I don't want to hang out with someone whose sexuality doesn't line up with mine. Mm. And of course you end up then having a brother-in-law that's never gay fails. and, and, you know, now my wife and I are super proud because we introduced a lesbian couple that got married and I had one side, my wife had the other side and, you know, I, I don't care who you're sleeping with now, as long as you're sending me pictures, you know? <laughs> and so, um, I, I'm a lot more under, I'm a lot more forgiving too, yeah. you know, cause I've made so many of the same mistakes. Yeah, we um, all have. And so I really don't care what you do if it didn't skin my knee, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that, and you know what, I'm also starting to come around. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this to this whole visualization secret, vision board yeah. thing, you Intentions. know, you know, the more people that I interview about it, the more I get convinced that well, you know, I've always believed that, uh, if I want to have a good meeting, I play that meeting out in my mind before yeah. I walk in. And Same now concept. that I, re- it's not that far off, you know, it's not that far off. If I want to do really well on a test, I visualize getting a 99 back and I can see the teacher mm-hmm. handing me the paper with a 99 written on it before I take the paper. I've always done that. And now I hear that that's actually part of what they're talking about. Yeah, I'm same like, thing. maybe it is the same thing. <laughs> you were doing it all along. You just didn't uh, realize it. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, what's the most misunderstood thing about you? Uh, People think I'm a raging extrovert. I'm actually a huge introvert. Mm. I'm as shy as a person can be. Hmm. Um, but I don't send that person out in public. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to meet that person. So That's I true. quit sending that person in public. Smart. Uh, so I am as shy and introverted as you can be. And I do a ton of public speaking. 
with huge audiences of thousands of people. And I'll ask how many, at the end of the hour, how many of you think that I'm an introvert? Not a single person will. And I'm like, well, I fooled you all. Fooled you all. Well, this has been fun. I'm so glad we fought through the technical challenges, Jim, to get you on. Uh, I'm a moron. (laughs) Not at all. I think this will be an uh, entertaining uh, episode and I'm looking forward to the feedback. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Harry. What's the best place for folks to track you down online? LinkedIn, we've pointed that out. Yep. I accept all invitations. There is a jimbeach.com. And you can also go to schoolforstartupsradio.com and listen to the 1,300 shows there. And uh, that's a good places, those, those three. Sounds good. Well, again, appreciate you taking the time, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend. You too. Thanks a lot. So thanks to Jim for coming on the show. It is much appreciated. And thanks to one of my early clients, John Livesey, for making the introduction. I really appreciate when that happens because I don't take those referrals lightly. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Check out his fantastic music selection at cedarsoil.com. Tune in next week for my conversation with Cole Raven. He's the co-founder of Podchaser. If you don't know what Podchaser is, it's essentially the IMDB for podcasting. I've been keeping my eye on them for the past couple of years, and now they've um, recently made some great, great headway in partnering with some of the podcast apps and really being a, a metadata repository for all things podcast related, which I think is much needed in this industry. So that's an interesting conversation, and you get to hear a little bit about his nomadic lifestyle. If you made it this far, no doubt you're listening out for the retention hashtag. It's going to be Startup Jim, hashtag Startup Jim. And you can check myself at podcast underscore junkies and Jim at entrepreneur Jim. That's always a fun word to spell. E-N-T-R-E-P-R-E-N-E-U-R Jim. That's his Twitter handle. Thanks for everything you do to support the show, guys. Talk to you next week.